Fantastic. Can I, can I get my Bible out here? Can we stay standing this morning? I'm going to read out of the Bible, and I'm going to do you all a huge favor. I'm going to read one verse only this morning, all right? I know, I know. If you're like my children, you've got nervous energy in your legs already from all the chocolate that you've consumed. Uh, my children are giving kids church right now mayhem, absolute mayhem. I'm sure of it. Uh, they are sugared up, and uh, I don't know if you're the same, but I'm going to let you sit down real soon. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Hebrews. It's my favorite book uh, in the Bible because I love coffee. And um, it's terrible. It's a terrible joke. Sorry. I'm going to move right along. Pretend I didn't say that. People are going to leave the church. People are signing off the broadcast right now. Um, chapter 7, chapter 7, and verse 19. One verse this morning that we're going to look at. And there's, there's such a great phrase in this verse. But it says this it says, For the law never made anything perfect. Anyone struggle with perfectionism? Um, it's all good. But now we have confidence in a better hope, in a better hope through which we draw near to God. That's it. That is all that we are reading this morning because that scripture, that one verse encapsulates so much of what Jesus has done for us in the Easter story. We have confidence in a better hope. Why don't you grab a seat and say to your neighbor, do you have a better hope this morning? Do you have a better hope this morning? Do you? Are you confident in your hope? That's probably a little bit much to say all in one go, but they're probably freaking out that you're not wearing a mask because uh, it's been a long time since we've seen people's faces. I'll be honest, I expected to see a few more beards out there. You know, we've been wearing masks for so long. Most It's an opportunity missed right there, guys, I think, um, to, to grow a beard. Uh, can we thank our team doing an awesome job this morning, legends. And uh, I want to reiterate what Pastor Darren said this morning when he thanked everyone who got here early. Uh, as you can see, our venue is in an unusual state, and it took a little bit extra from uh, some amazing people this morning to get the, this all ready so that we could celebrate together. Uh, so thank you to everyone who was involved in being here um, word on the street is that they manhandled an entire skip bin uh, this morning. So you know, that's the level. That's the level that our teams go to uh, so that you have an opportunity to be in here, hear the Word of God, and have a moment where you encounter the, the, the living God in your life. Uh, so thank you to everybody. Um, something else just, wanna, just wanted to reiterate that Pastor Darren mentioned. He said that actually... The reality is when it comes to restrictions right now, we are allowed to have 100% capacity. We're allowed. It's awesome, right? We could go to a place where we could get rid of like online tickets. It would be amazing, but, but we can't. We can't because if we did that, we would have too many kids for our kids team. So I'm just going to put this out there. If you would like this auditorium to be filled, can you go and see our kids team after this and say, I would like to help our auditorium be filled. All right. We've got, we've got some of our amazing pastors down in kids team this morning, just so that we can have this many people. Uh, we are staging the tickets to be lifted slowly but surely, but the reality is if we believe that we can be a church that fills this auditorium with people, we need to be a church that puts their hand up and says, I, I am willing to do what that takes. And that's, that's inviting people, 
right? That's, that's serving on, on a team outside so that the, the auditorium is set up so that people walk in and go, wow, church is actually an awesome place to be. But it's also being down in the rooms that nobody sees, helping our kids learn about Jesus, helping their parents be able to sit in here and have a moment where, where they meet with Jesus. So if we want this place to be filled, can we, can we put our hand up and be involved? Is that right, church? Can I say that this morning? I love you, but I will say those things because I believe in it. I believe in the church, and I believe in what our kids team do. With that being said, I'm going to pray. I probably should have prayed before that. You all would have been open to it, but I'm going to pray now, and we're going to dive into what I believe is a word from God this morning for us. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much uh, for Jesus. I want to thank you that he came, and he died, and he was obedient to the cross. He was obedient through suffering and pain, so that we could know you, so that we could draw near to you, so that we could know our Creator, our God, our Father in heaven, so that we could be adopted into your family, so that we could live this life with an incredible purpose. Lord, I pray this morning that every person in this place will be reminded of what a better hope we have in Jesus. And Lord, the jets need a miracle, uh, so do what you can tomorrow, be with them, somehow help them play soccer. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, right? Amen. We need, we, what they've been playing is not soccer. They need help. They need, they need some miraculous intervention. I, I'm, I, I can't even call it football, Jim. I'm, I'm, I'm not even there. I, just, I love them, but they need, they need Jesus to help them. And uh, I'm going on Monday. I'm taking my kids to the game. It's going to be awesome, but they better win because I don't explain losing well. Um, <laughs> We had our staff Easter egg hunt um, last week. That's an experience. If you ever want to see staff not acting like Christians, you should come to our, our staff Easter egg hunt. Um, some, yeah, Joy just corrected me there. Some staff, me possibly. Um, I do believe I got the most eggs. I don't want to brag, but, you know. I want to welcome everyone this morning who's watching on our broadcast. Uh, thank you for making the time to tune in, whether it's you know, on YouTube or our, our uh, online platform. Uh, I hope you have a fantastic morning. I hope you already have, but I really believe that as you uh, just sit and, and, and listen to what the Word of God says this morning, I believe you're going to be encouraged. And um, yeah, I hope that you are able to find your way into this place uh, someday soon. Uh, we would love to have you. If you're visiting with us and you are in the auditorium, thank you for being here. Uh, we love you. Love that you came to check out church. This is church, not a building. It's people together that believe that God is real. And uh, we celebrate him, we celebrate his son Jesus, and uh, thanks for being with us this morning. But I want to dive into this passage of scripture, I want to unpack it a little bit because it's powerful. It's powerful because it, it juxtaposes, there's a big word for me at this time of the morning, two ways to live life, two ways to approach life. And it puts it in the context of, of kind of the Jewish history, which we may not always understand, but it no less juxtaposes the way in which humanity attempts to live life and then the way Jesus offers for us to be able to live life. And I want to tell you a story, if I can, to kind of paint a little bit of a picture of it. Um, I grew up and my dad, for a, a large portion of my life, was living uh, in a different state and, and then even in a different country. And there was a period of time when I was like sort of 14, 15, where he was living over in uh, Belgium, in Brussels, and uh, his company, I believe it was his company, uh, I think he's watching, he's probably going to send me a text and correct me, but uh, I believe it was his company organized for me to be able to go and see him uh, for a month every year. 
right? And so as a 14-year-old, 15-year-old, and 16-year-old, I traveled internationally by myself, uh, which none of us would allow people to do these days, um, to go and spend a month with my dad overseas. Awesome experience. I loved it. Got to do whatever I wanted on the plane. And um, yeah, I won't go there. I'll tell you a different story about that one day. But, but there's one particular... <laughs> One particular time, I think it was when I was about 15, um, I was over there and I had been once before, so I obviously thought I was an expert in the back streets of Brussels and, you know, fully uh, aware of all the public transport systems and that's the way teenagers think. Uh, and, and so at that point in time, the, the lady that he had married, my stepmom, had her sister out at the same time. And they both had to go to work, my, my dad and my stepmom, they had to go to work and uh, my stepmom's sister wanted to see some of the attractions in the city of Brussels. And I'm like, no worries. I've been here once before. I know where things are. I'll take you on a tour. And, and so, you know, we, we planned a little bit of a tour in the evening. And the next morning, uh, Dad and Rosie, they went off to work. And I'm like, cool, we're just going to wander down. It's a bus stop right out front. It takes us to the tram. We'll jump on the tram. We'll go down to the Grand Place, which is where I was heading with her. And we'll check out that particular tourist attraction. Everything was going great. Got downstairs without getting lost. Yep, that was a weird, it was an apartment building, I wasn't used to apartments, but made it, made it, out, made it out the front door and, and got on the tram and I thought we were going in the right direction. Thought we were, we were heading in the right You remember like, I don't, I don't speak French or Flemish at this point in time in my life. These days I'm totally not uh, fluent in it either, but I pretend I am. And... We're heading in, in, in a certain direction on this tram, and Rosie's sister gets a phone call, right? And so she's sitting there. She's, like, fully confident that I know what's going on, starts chatting away on the phone. I'm sitting there, minute by minute, starting to, like, get hotter and hotter and, and like, beating with sweat, it's like, starting to drip. And I'm, I'm looking at, like, out the window, and I'm like, I've never seen this before. I have no idea where we are, like we are, we are immediately lost in a foreign city where I don't speak English and I'm a 15-year-old kid and I'm supposed to get this person to a tourist attraction at home again. Needless to say, we didn't make it to our destination, um, but I did, I did have enough awareness to uh, encourage her to stand up while she was on the phone and we need to get off here. This is our stop. I'm pretty sure I said this is our stop. It definitely wasn't our stop. Um, but I needed her to think it was our stop so that we could get off the tram. We got off the tram. Another tram came in the, the other direction. I'm like, now we need to get on this tram. <laughs> this tram's where we need to go. And, um, you know, we, we got on the tram that was going in the other direction and went all the way back home again. And by that stage, she knew I had no idea where we were heading. But at least we made it back home. And the, the issue in the whole day was really that they put their hope in me knowing how, how to navigate a foreign city as a 15-year-old. It was a poorly placed hope, right? It was a poorly placed hope in me, in my ability to navigate and act as a tour guide, and it probably pretty much in, in every aspect of that, it was, it was a poorly placed hope. But we, the thing is, we often, we, like, we don't realize it, but we have a poorly placed hope. A lot of the time in our lives, we place our hope of, of better or of, of certain things or certain, we place it in things that have really no capacity in guaranteeing that they are able to follow through on what we're hoping for. 
Right? Like I put on the bravest face as if somehow I was able to guarantee that I could be this great tour guide and take uh, Rosie's sister on this tour around um, uh, Brussels. But the truth is I had no capacity to do that. Or if I had any, it was like this amount of capacity. And this passage of scripture that we read this morning speaks about a better hope. And, and it speaks about a better hope of something really significant, something that we probably actually don't think of all that often in our lives, right? Particularly if we're not someone who, who maybe you're here today or you're watching online and you're like, I, I'm not a Christian, right? Like, I don't really know about this whole Jesus thing. I like, I got a pamphlet on my car or in my letterbox or something and I was like, I don't even know what this is, but I'm going to check it out. And now you're watching someone read from the Bible and wondering what the heck's going on. This, this passage says that we have a better hope. Actually, we have confidence in a better hope of, of doing what? Of drawing near to God. Of drawing near to God. Now, obviously, that, that stirs an initial question, and that is you need to decide whether you believe that God exists and is real or not. That's got to be the first question you ask yourself. You've got, you've got to go to that place where you're like, is there a God? Is there a God? For those of us who, who, have, who have put our hand up and said, we believe in Jesus, we've answered that question. We believe there is a God. We believe he's the God of this Bible and we believe his son, is Jesus, came to earth and that's why we're celebrating Easter today, right? But for some of you, you need to answer that question. And it might take you time and it might take you on a journey, but you need to resolve in yourself, is there a God? And if there is, if you get to a point where you're like, yes, well, then there's a greater question and that is, how do you know him? How do you know God? And the Bible tells us that actually we can not just know God, but we can draw close to Him. We can have a relationship with Him because of the hope that we have in Jesus. You see, for most of us, the, the, if we were to use a Bible term, we would use this term called righteousness. Right? We can, if we were to break that down, we can use some terrible grammar and we can say rightness. Right, like that's, that's what we're talking about. Our capacity to draw near to God is based on our rightness in His eyes. And the funny thing is, for all of us, all of, all of humanity, it, we have this inbuilt desire to, to be right. right. Hands up who's married here, right? Looking at, looking at the wives in the building. Men in particular have this built-in desire to be right. Can I, can I get an amen? You're going to leave me up here by myself. Thank you. It's true. I have it, right? I, I have learned over 11 years of marriage that it, sometimes it is easier to die on, on the hill of relationship rather than rightness, okay? Sometimes the benefit of my marriage is to not prove, even though I know, not prove that I am right, okay? I have to, I have to squash it for the benefit of my relationship, but we are born, we are born, I'm, def, I'm not looking over there in case you're wondering, it's a deliberate not looking, my wife is over there, did an awesome job leading worship this morning. And, um, but we have this inbuilt desire, first of all, to be good, to somehow measure ourselves as morally just, right? Like we, I am a good person. There's an inbuilt craving to be a good person, to do good, to be good, right? To, to, to have significance, to somehow make a difference, we want to be right, be good, and we want to do good. They're, they are the two most basic cravings of humanity somewhere in us, right? But that's, 
all that really points to is, is how we were originally created, right? And the Bible tells us that we were created and God looked at us and said, they are very good. They are very good. And we lost that. When Adam and Eve did what they did in the garden, sin kind of entered our heart and humanity, it shifted us. And we were no longer good by, by nature. In fact, the Bible tells us that we are no longer good by nature. We're not good by nature. And that's why we have this craving to be good again. The problem is that the measure of good or the measure of rightness is something that in today's cultural context is very difficult to define because we live in an age of relativism. And so we define right by what's relative. And so, and so what we get is we get, we get whatever is the current loudest voice is defining right. And we have, we have started to dissolve the idea that somewhere, somehow, someone else outside of the scope of humanity beyond us defines right. But that's exactly what God says he does. It's exactly what being God is actually all about. If he's God, he's, he's God. And he gets to say what is right and what's not. But the beautiful thing about this scripture is it says that actually we have this better hope of being able to draw near to him. We have this, this confidence that we can come to God even though we may not actually always be right. And that's, that's a difficult pill to swallow sometimes. But, but here's what humans do. Here's what we do all the time, right? We, we try, we try our hardest, right? We, we, we strive and we work and we, we do self-help and we read all these books and we're like, I'm going to implement that. I'm going to get some self-determination. I'm going to grit my teeth and I'm going to be good. That is incredibly exhausting. I'm, I'm not even 40 yet and I know that's exhausting. It is exhausting to strive and try and be and grit your teeth and somehow measure up to this rightness that whether we, we've somehow set ourselves in our head. That's a terrible way to try to be right. It's a terrible way to try to do right because you're always trying harder. You're always having to try more. And the truth is that ultimately that method falls short. That method of our own ability to be right and do right falls short of what God says is right. And we don't like hearing that, but that's the truth. The truth is that we all fall short of what God says is perfect. That's why this scripture says that the law never made anything perfect. The law, we're not necessarily talking about not speeding, although that's a really good thing this weekend because it's double demerits, you don't want to get caught. But the law was, was the the. This is what I said earlier about that, the, the, the context of the, the kind of the Israelite nation, the, the Jewish history, right? The law is what God gave them as, as a way of trying to show them what it would take to be right in their own strength. It was never meant to enable them to do it. It was meant to show them that they couldn't, right? Like it was meant to, it's like when you've got your, your, your child and they're growing up and they're getting old, they're starting to be a teenager and they think they know everything and you're like, okay, let's, I'm just going to give you a difficult question. Just to, just, just to help you realize you actually don't know everything in life yet, right? I don't know if anyone, any parents have done that. Maybe it's not good parenting. I don't know. I don't have teenagers yet. I'm still working it out. But the law was God's way of saying, listen, you need to realize as hard as you try, you, you, can't, you can't make the measure. And you know what? God would be a really bad God if that's where he left things. It would be a really unhelpful, unpersonal, unloving God if all he did was to show us, ah, you don't measure up. 
Good work, humanity. Thanks to Adam and Eve many, many years ago. Now none of you measure up. Bad luck. Mic drop. Happy Easter Sunday. Right? If he, if he left it there, we'd, we'd all be lost. We would all be left just trying and striving our hardest to be something that we can never be. But this is why we call Good Friday good. Right, Because Good Friday is the beginning of the answer to what God was trying to show us. Good Friday that we, we celebrated if you were in our, our Good Friday service. It was awesome. Wow, what an incredible time. But, but that was the beginning of God's solution to the reality that humanity could never meet the measure of perfection that God had set in His rightness. His desire has always been to have this personal, intimate, beautiful relationship with humanity. But He couldn't overlook sin. And so he had to come with a solution, and it actually says he had this before, before time even began. He had a solution. He's been all over it, all over this the whole time, right? It's not a surprise to him. But Good Friday began with Jesus dying on a cross. And then we arrive at Easter Sunday, where Jesus rose again from the grave. And why is that significant? It's significant because Scripture tells us that Jesus now sits between us and God and makes sure that the way is always open for us to draw near to God. That's exactly what this passage is talking about when it says we now have confidence in a better hope of drawing close to God. We could never do it on our own, but because of Jesus, we can now do it whenever, however, wherever we want. We can draw near to God because of what Jesus did. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians says this, chapter 5, verse 21. Right? It says, it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we might become the righteousness of Christ potentially slightly different translation. But what does that mean? Well, it means that all of what we do that causes us to miss God's mark, all of that, it's like, it's like that shifted to Jesus. He's hanging on a cross and he became everything that separated us from God. That's why he yells out, God, why have you forsaken me? It's because in that moment, everything that separated us from God was on him. And then it says that actually everything that made Jesus right in the eyes of God became available to us. There's this incredible transaction that occurs because of what Jesus did. He came to earth, lived this, incredibly, uh, uh, this incredible life, and then he died so that he could make a way for us to be near to God. And so what we get to do is we get to give Jesus our life that doesn't measure up. We get to receive freely. It's a gift he gives to us, a life that measures up every time with God. A life that always enables us to have a conversation, an interaction with God. It's, 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 we're able to give Him our sin and receive forgiveness once and for all. And ultimately, we are able to let go of the old things we put our hope in. Like our ability, our striving, our trying to be good. Because I don't know about you, I'm going to speak to the people for a little while who have been Christian for a while. Who have, you know, I don't know how many years, but many years ago, you said, you know what, I believe Jesus is real. I want to give him my life. There is a point. There is a point that you come to in your life as a Christian. First of all, it's like, this is awesome, right? You don't realize, though, um, 
that there's still things in your life that despite your best trying, you can't change. No, no, no one else feels like that? Just, just you pass that course. We're shedding the church this morning. It's awesome. There are areas in my life that despite being a Christian for decades, still struggle with. And if I was left to my own, I wouldn't measure up. But I get to take all that. I get to put that on Jesus. And I get to take a free gift of his grace that when I stand before my God, he doesn't see those things. He sees perfection. He sees rightness. And by receiving what Jesus did, I am immediately made right with God. Immediately made right with God. And that's the beauty of Christianity. It's not a behavior modification process. It's not, about, it's not just a different way to try harder and be harder. No, it's about receiving what we didn't earn. It's about grace. It's about the free gift of forgiveness. It's about I know I don't measure up, but because of Jesus, I just get to. I just get to. I just get to thank Jesus for what he did and walk right in to a relationship with God. And in that process, yeah, God changes me, but he changes me from the inside out. Sometimes I don't even know he's doing it. Sometimes I look back on my life and I'm like, yeah, I'm a different person than what I used to be. Just walking with Jesus, talking with God. And I think sometimes for us Christians, the hardest thing is to actually get 10, 15 years down the track and stop trying and stop striving for those things that we really wish were changed, but just still quite haven't been. Somehow we feel like we're failing in our Christianity because, well, I should be better by now. I just want to speak to those people for a second because the truth is that you shouldn't be better by now. Because being better is not, is not what you're trying for. <laughs> you see, if you're striving to be better still, then you've gone back to putting your hope in something that is not going to measure up. Trying to be better is putting your hope back in you being able to be good enough. It's, it's going straight back to the law. Right? It's going straight back to trying to abide in your own strength by the things you think you should or shouldn't do to measure up. Can I give you a free, fresh, new permission to stop trying this morning to be who you think you need to be, to, to, to do what you think you need to do? Can we just go back to, 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 to receiving the free gift of salvation from Jesus Christ each and every day so that we can approach God? Can we just go back to loving Jesus and watching Him change our life one day at a time and trusting Him enough that we don't take back the difficult areas of our life and try to do that by ourselves just go back to trusting Jesus come on can we go back to trusting Jesus this morning because it's exhausting even as a Christian trying to change yourself and be better and do better that is if, if you have ever heard the gospel somehow packaged in another way to do better and be better you have heard the wrong gospel the gospel it's called the good news and the good news is that it's not actually in your strength. It's all because of what Jesus did. It is a full, complete, free gift that he doesn't take back that is on offer for you to receive and immediately be right with God. Immediately be right with God. And you know, that whole idea of being right with God has two really amazing important, significant things in it. Obviously, obviously, one thing is, is eternal life. 
It's, it's, it's eternity with God himself. It's, it, 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 it's heaven. It's all the things we've heard about. But the truth is that if we only ever talk about that, then we package the gospel like some life insurance policy. And yes, we should never deny that that's an incredible component of it. But it's more than that. It's about life right now. It's about how we live right now. It's about how we approach life right now. It's about receiving the purpose of the kingdom of God in our lives right now. It gives us reason for every day that we wake up. It gives us reason for what we do with our lives each and every day because we now live right with God. We can go and do incredible things for His kingdom. We have access to peace and joy and and, and grace and all of the things that we so wish we could get on our own, but we at some point come and realize, ah, we just can't. I want to tell you this morning that this scripture that we read, now we have confidence in a better hope. Jesus, Jesus is better than hoping for what you can do on your own. It's better than hoping for what someone will do for you. It's better than hoping for your spouse or your partner to one day change your life. It's better than hoping for luck or fate or the universe to do something on your behalf. It's better than hoping for next year or that next milestone birthday that somehow you might be different. It's better than hoping in that promotion or that position, that paycheck or that property. Here's a better hope than all of those things. Those things might bring some, some lift for a little while, but what, what, what gives us eternal, ongoing, forever sense of rightness is by putting our hope in Jesus Christ. Jesus is a better hope than all of those things in satisfying that craving inside of us to be right and do right. And more than that, more than that, he makes us able to know God. He makes us able to have a relationship with God. He enables us to walk right up in our spirit, to God, talk with God, asking for wisdom, guidance, purpose. It's incredible to think the God of the universe, that you can have a relationship with Him. You can know Him. And so, you know, we got visitors here, we got visitors watching online. We talked so much just now about this idea of Jesus being a better hope. And it can, it can seem a little difficult to know how, how to be like, well, how do I use that? How do, I, how do I use the Jesus you're talking about? Well, actually, it's really simple. It's, I, I, just, I just kind of do an ABC. First of all, we need to accept ourselves and that actually... Without Jesus, we do fall short of the measure that God says is right. We don't quite make it. We miss it. And we need to accept that about ourselves. And that's called sin. The things that we do that mean we don't measure up is called sin. And we need to accept that we sin. Even those of us who have been walking with Jesus for decades, we still sin. The beautiful thing about Easter is that sin's now no longer the problem. But if we don't acknowledge it, if we don't accept it, we can't, we can't do that whole transfer. We can't give it to Jesus and accept His forgiveness. And so B is simply believe. We believe that Jesus is who He said He is and that He did what He said He did. 
We believe that He is the Son of God, that He did. He came to earth and He died on a cross, went into the grave. And then on Sunday, or the third day, I don't know if it was a Sunday, let's not get caught up on technicalities. He rose again. And when He rose again, He did everything required for you to receive that rightness from Him, to give Him sin and receive righteousness. And see, the last thing is simply confess that you want Jesus, that you want Him in your life, and you're going to give Him yours. And I don't know about you, maybe you've, maybe you've been in church your whole life and it's suddenly dawning on you in a new way, in a new level, just what Jesus did for you. I want to give everybody an opportunity this morning that wants to some way respond to the better hope that is Jesus. Maybe respond for the first time and go, for the first time I do, I believe Jesus is the Son of God and I, I want to have what He did. I'm going to pray a prayer. It's super simple. It's pretty much just those things in, in a prayer. And if you want to pray that, maybe you're watching at home and you just want to pray that, or you don't even really know about prayer and you just, you're going to go, I'm just going to go nod at the prayer you're praying. That's cool. It's, that's where we start with some, some of these things sometimes. But if you're here and you want to pray, I'm going to pray a prayer. I just encourage you to make it your prayer. Pray it under your breath. Scripture says we confess Believe in your heart, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Then we're saved. Then we're free. We're forgiven. And we have a relationship with God. So can everyone here, maybe just bow your heads if you're watching online, just wherever you are, why don't you bow your head right now? Why don't you just close your eyes? And I'm going to pray this prayer. And you can pray with me if you want. You can pray it in your heart. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is your son and that He died for me. I know I sin, and I don't make that rightness with you. But I want to know you, God. So this morning, I want to receive what Jesus made available. I believe in Him, and I want Him in my life. And I give you my life. Amen.